good morning. Welcome to Mornings with Mac. It's a gorgeous day in Birmingham, and I hope you've got a copy of God's Word, and you will go with me to Psalm 32 this morning. Now, um, maybe next week I'll start off talking a little bit how to how to look at a passage of Scripture, but you need a Bible with you. You don't need to just be listening to me. You need to be following along in your Scripture with me. Psalm 32, it's the third day that we've been in Psalm 32. Sometimes you just get to a portion of Scripture, you just got to camp out. You just got to settle in, take a slow look at this, uh, cook it in a crock pot, not a microwave. So that's what we've been doing with this Psalm. Now, if you remember, I told you that this is David's fulfilling what he had promised the Lord in Psalm 51, where he said, I will teach transgressors, transgressors your ways. Psalm 51 was the Psalm of repentance. This is also a penitential Psalm, but he's coming now and it's a mascal. It's an instruction. It's a teaching. And what he's teaching is, is he's teaching them how to repent. Basically is what he's doing. And he gives his own personal testimony. He starts off by saying, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit, that is, no, no desire to cover up his sins any longer. Now, that was his situation. Then he gives you, in verse 3 and verse 4, his desperation. He says, This is what my life was like when I covered my sins up how miserable it was. Then he comes, and this is what releases him. He comes to his confession. I confessed it to God, and God immediately forgave. You forgave the iniquity of my sin. Uh, and he comes then in verse 6 and verse 7, and he gives you instruction. He says, here's, here's the instruction of, uh, that I have for you uh, to keep you from falling into sin. Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time uh, offer prayer to you, God, at a time when you may be found. In other words, before your mind commits, it goes beyond the tipping point because once your mind commits to sin, your flesh is gone. It's, it's already there. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. In other words, you go to God in the ripple days of temptation before the tsunami of of lust or sin comes in on you, and he's saying there, the rush of those great waters, it won't, it won't affect you. Uh, and then he comes in verse 7. You remember from yesterday what we saw in that God's our hiding place. Now, you begin in verse 8, and I've got to show you that the whole thing shifts right here. We've been looking at how David saw sin. Now, I want you to see how God sees our needs. That's uh, verse 8, 9, 10, and 11, how God sees our needs. Now, he's going to see four things here. Number one, our need for God's guidance. Look at verse 8. And I'm going to tell you, verse 8 is God speaking. Um, every now and then in the Psalms of rejoicing, uh, in the Psalms of praise, you will catch a verse where God speaks in the middle of the psalm which is a powerful lesson for us to praise God. Because, listen, the Word of God tells us God inhabits the praise of His people. 
And here through the Psalms, what you pick up is you pick up a spiritual principle that in the midst of praise, God speaks. So in the midst of this Psalm of of praise now, he is going, God is going to speak. Now look at what he's going to say. He's going to say, number one, I will instruct you. We need his guidance. So he says, I will instruct you. The word instruct there literally means um, skill, insight, wisdom. Um, it's, it's this whole part of God guiding. When God guides you, um, God gives you skills. God sharpens your skills. In his guiding, he sharpens your skill. He gives you insight into things. That is discernment. He gives you some discernment into things. And he also comes and he gives you his wisdom. In the midst of God's guidance comes the sharpening of your skill, discernment, and godly wisdom in all of that. Um, In the midst of uh, his guiding, he, he takes you and he shows you how you can handle situations in life. Uh, The second part, the second thing that he says is this, I will teach you in the way you should go. Now, the interesting thing about the word teach here is that the word teach means it's an archery term, and it means uh, to, to show how you can hit the mark, to show you how you can shoot an arrow. Now, that's just the opposite of sin. Sin means means missing the mark. Teaching means how to hit the mark. God comes, and in his teaching, he's going to show you how to hit his will, how to do his will, how to follow his will for your life, how to follow the right path in life. So he's going to show you how to hit the mark instead of, in sin, always missing the mark. And then he comes to the third thing, I will counsel you. You see that in verse 8? That's just God's counsel. That's God's advice. Uh, That's God's guidance. That's God's word on where you should go, in the way in which you should go. And he says, I'm going to give you that counsel. Now, let me tell you something. God doesn't give counsel for you to debate. God gives counsel for you to be obedient to. That's when his counsel comes. God's not sitting across the table from you saying, well, why don't you try this? Or or, or, why don't you try that? Or why don't you try something? No. In the counsel of God is the imperative of God. That is the command of God. And he says, I will give you instruction, teaching, and counsel with my eye on you. God says, I'm not going to take my eye off of you. I think of that passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, where God is speaking to King Asa, and he says to him, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. God wants to give you instruction. He wants to guide you. He wants to give you instruction. He wants to teach you. He wants to give you your, his counsel so you can be obedient. And he says, while I do that, I never take my eye off of you. How many times have you had a child run up and say, are you watching? Are you watching? Are you watching? Well, God comes and he says, now I'm watching you. I've got my eye on you. I'm not going to take it off of you. While I give you this instruction, while I give you this teaching, while I teach you, train you, and he says, um, while, while I give you my counsel, 
Now that's God speaking there. He knows we need his guidance. He knows that um, we also need his directing. Verse 9, David now speaks, and he says to us, now God has said that. Now David comes and he speaks, and he says to us, don't be like a horse or like a mule (laughs) without understanding. Don't be like an old hard-headed mule. Don't be like an old hard-headed horse. Now the interesting thing is this. A horse is a symbol of speed, and a mule is a symbol of not moving. So you've got the two extremes here, and I'm going to tell you what David is saying. David's saying, I've done both. I've run out ahead of God. I've run off so far out, uh, out from God and gotten ahead of God that I, I, I couldn't hear what God, I couldn't hear his instruction. I couldn't hear his teaching. I couldn't hear his counsel. That is, I got out ahead of God, and God couldn't guide me. God couldn't direct me. Or I've been the other direction like a mule. Now, if you know anything about a mule, there there are times when a mule will not move. He just stops. He just sits down on his haunches. He's not going to go. He's not going to make a move. And David says, I've been that way too, that God has given me his instruction. He's given me his direction. And I have just said, nope, not doing that. Not going to go there. Not going to do that at all. Now, watch it. what he says. He says, don't be that way. He says, don't be like that. He says, don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed. You've got to uh, get control of them by putting a bit and a bridle or it won't stay near you. A, A bit and a bridle ensures that that horse or that mule is going to do what you instruct it to do. Now, I'm just going to leave this up for you to apply to your own personal life. Has God had to come and put a bit and a bridle in order to keep you close to him? Have you had to lose your license because of some reason? And that's a way of God saying, I'm I'm going to take some of this stuff away from you so that you keep close to me. Has... uh, what, what bit and bridle has put on you, God put on you? Have you lost a job because you wouldn't listen to God? Um, we like to blame it on the boss, but maybe it was the fact that you wouldn't listen to God. Uh, are you in a predicament financially because God's had to put a bit and bridle on you? You've just gotten so careless in your spending. Well, I'm going to leave that to you. But what we need is the directing of God. So don't get so far out ahead of God thinking you know what God's going to tell you to do, that you don't hear his directing. And don't be like a mule and just say, well, I'm not going to do it. The third thing is this. He knows we need his guarding. Look at verse 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. They're compounded. It seems like that in our sin, when one thing goes wrong, then the next, the next, the next, and the next. It's like, Morton salt. When it rains, it pours, you know. But he says this, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. He says, here's the opposite. This is what you can have. You can have my guarding and it's my steadfast love, that love that stays there, that surrounds you, uh, that is always there. When you trust in me, and not in yourself. He says, my love is always there, and it's there guarding you. And the fourth thing is this, we need God's justifying. Now, I'm going to take you to the end of verse 11, 
where David writes and he says, all you upright in heart. Now, by the way, there's some great uh, scholars that think that verse 8, 9, 10, and 11 is all God speaking. I think he speaks in verse 8. I think the rest of this is David. Uh, it, but if it's God or if it's David, uh, he says, and he calls you the upright in heart. Now, do you remember how I started this whole thing out? I said the beatitude is this, blessed are those who realize they are not righteous. What does Proverbs 27 to tell us? Let another praise you and not your own mouth. Here, David can call you righteous. He can call us righteous. God can call us righteous. But blessed are we when we realize that we are not righteous. However, here the psalmist comes and he says, you're the upright in heart. He's saying that because through this, you're going to depend on God's guidance. You're going to depend on God's directing. You're going to depend on God's guarding you. And you're going to depend on God justifying you. It is God who justifies you. It is God who sanctifies you. And let me show you what comes out of that. Three things. I don't know if you've picked up on these trilogies. I've counted five trilogies in this one chapter right here. Uh, there was the trilogy that we've looked at in verse 8. There's the trilogy of teaching. He's going to instruct you, teach you, counsel you. Now watch this. He comes in verse 11, and he gives you a trilogy here. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, O righteous, because you're righteous, and shout for joy. There are the three things of joy that comes with being the righteous of God, with being those who confess their sin, who understand that they're transgressors, sinners, and full of iniquity. So there is Psalm 32. Now, we've had a lot of people write in uh, over the course of the last three days uh, and they have asked a question about how do we deal with this whole issue of forgiveness. I have talked about our need for forgiveness, but many of you have written in and have asked about, you know, what I do, how do I forgive? Maybe I'll deal with that a little more in the future, but maybe you're wondering. So, Miss Debbie said, let's give you some guidance here. Let's give you some material that you can look for. You've been hurt. You've been wounded. Somebody has deeply injured you and you're having a tough time getting over it. I'm going to give you two books that have ministered to me. Miss Debbie's going to give you a couple of things and then she's going to wrap this. Up. I'm going to let her speak this morning. So here we go. Here is the first one by my good friend, Dr. Erwin Lutzer, When You've Been Wronged. This is an excellent book. I, I kept it for about a year beside my desk, and I would make reference to it, to it, make reference to it, make reference to it. Excellent book. I could not recommend anything any better, When You've Been Wronged, from Erwin Lutzer. And then a brand new book that's come out from my good friend, Phil Waldrop. And these guys are good friends of mine. I'm not just saying that. Beyond Betrayal. Have you ever been betrayed? I sure have. And uh, let me tell you, uh, it can hurt. You can get into the grip of bitterness. But, but listen to me. L let me tell you. Get this book. 
read this book. It will help you biblically. These are good, sound, solid, biblical counsel that will help you in your struggle with betrayal and being wronged. Great, great books. We've just had so many people. I've had so many people private message me and send me emails just saying we're, we're in the middle of a very difficult time and we just don't know how we can forgive, which is why I said we needed to talk about this. The first thing I would say, these are great resources, but if you're in the middle of something, perhaps you need to just talk with someone. These men that wrote these books called us when we were going through our difficult times. So they not only have ministered to us through their books, but they've ministered yeah, to us personally. personally. So the mm -hmm. first thing I would say, if you're right in the middle of something, find a good Christian friend or a good Christian counselor. I had to do that two years ago. Mm -hmm. We had a neighbor uh, who was just a wonderful friend, a Christian counselor who sat down with me, and also a dear friend is June Hunt. And I want to share just a couple of her books. She has written How to Forgive When You Don't Feel Like It. So practical, just really practical information in there. And then if you want to go through a, a Bible study, if you've gone through something and you're hurting and you just seem to get in that cycle. And I was writing somebody this morning and I was saying, I'd love to be able to tell you when you go through a difficult time, when you go through a betrayal, especially if it's in your church and if it's with people that you trust, people who call themselves Christian, I'd love to say you forgive them, that's it, and it's done. But in my life, it's been a process that creeps back in, and you just have to keep giving it to Jesus. These are some great Bible studies that will help you. Choosing Forgiveness by June Hunt. And just in closing, I thought I'd give you a, an illustration that, that she gives. She's spoken in every church that we've pastored for me to our women, and she gives just this great picture that uh, helps me so when I start dealing with it again. She talks about putting a big hook around your neck, and she did this, actually did this, called somebody up on stage, and she put this big hook around their neck and she put a, a bag, a sack on the other end of it. And as the person began telling about all the ways that they had been hurt, June would take rocks and she would put it in that burlap bag that was attached to that. And you could see the person being weighted down. And I'll tell you, that's what unforgiveness does in your life. It doesn't hurt the person who's, who's deceiving you, who's lying about you, who's hurting you. It hurts you. It not only affects you spiritually, but it affects you physically. We both dealt with physical problems. It, it affects you emotionally. So my word to you, which is June's word to you is, don't give somebody that, that power to do that. Don't let them weight you down with unforgiveness. Give it to Christ. And you may just have to give it to him again and again, but we found that that works in our life. So why don't we end by just praying with those who okay. are dealing with unforgiveness in their life. And then I'll tell you, we'll look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Father, we do pray for those that are struggling right now with forgiving uh, another person. It, it may be a husband, it may be a wife, it may be a child, maybe a parent, maybe a pastor, maybe a staff member, maybe a church or an elder or deacon, it could be anybody, Father, somebody close, somebody significant uh, that has wounded them deeply. Father, let them know that there is release from this in you. And that if we turn to you, if we confess our sins to you, we begin to understand how much you've forgiven us then we begin to understand, Father, that it is a little easier to forgive another person. Father, thank you for forgiving us. 
Thank you for giving us people along the way who speak your word into our lives, who care for us, who give us godly counsel. Uh, We pray, Father, for everyone there that's listening to us in these moments that they would turn their face, their focus toward you and away from the person who has hurt them so that they will, they will, Lord, be caught up with the glory of your forgiveness and will discover that you will enable them and help them to forgive others. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I did well. Have a blessed day.